0: Hello and welcome to Contemplations. I'm Josh and I am joined by Connor. Hello there. And we are going to be talking about when does something become a vice and we're not necessarily going to be moralising, it's hopefully going to be a sort of breakdown of things that helps you think about things in a way that is helpful to you we're not going to be you know judging and moralizing and wagging our fingers because i don't think that's productive and i don't think that actually makes anyone want to change i'll just leave now Uh, no i'm (laughs) I'm joking
1: Um, i think what brought this around has been off-air conversations about where the fine line is Mm. for most people who some people are drawn like a moth to a flame to things that harm them um others can and this was the phrase we used also a uh, in degeneracy and get away with it mm. and so this will be more of a discussion i think yes about the morality of uh, vice is a morally loaded word but how to mediate and incorporate or abstain from things which might do you harm over time into yeah. a, a workable schema of your life mm-hmm. It's mainly looking at the consequences
0: of mm. people's actions, right? Rather than saying, oh, you're immoral. and mm. Because that's not really that interesting. I think most people who are watching this come at this sort of thing with the same or similar moral frameworks. Obviously, there's variation, of course. But I don't think that we really need to tell people what is wrong and what is not. Because, you know, we've been around for long enough that you have a, a general gist. And it would be boring if we just said, yes, we think that this is wrong. But... Um, I suppose we may as well address what is a vice, and of course most people have an understanding, but I think a a concrete definition that we can work off and be specific as we're trying to draw a very fine line uh, between what is vice and what is not. And I have defined it as a habitual behaviour that is either considered immoral by society or undesirable to the individual who has habituated it. And habit is the important part because this also reflects the neurobiology aspect of it, in that, you know, you form a habit, it creates a neural pathway um, in your brain that makes following that habit even easier, the default sometimes. And so there's a lot of utility in emphasising the habitual nature of vice. For example, if, say, you got really, really drunk one time at a wedding, and, you know, maybe you made a bit of a fool of yourself, but then... So two weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah, bit bit recent memory for connor yep. but um good time though but you know it's a one-off it's not something that you mm. normally do you wouldn't describe yourself as an alcoholic as no. having a vice with alcohol you'd say well you know it was i was treating myself as a special occasion mm. and therefore you know it, i don't see that as necessarily a problem and i think that that's the the view that most people hold not not everyone is quite so fire and brimstone just like yes even a sip of alcohol and you are going to hell and well, I mean, yeah. even the Islamic world doesn't think of it in that sense, does it? It's getting drunk, using, losing your inhibitions.
1: There are, there are certain uh, Christian sects in America, particularly behind the prohibition era stuff, like the Puritans or even some Baptists who do stigmatize it in that way, but mm-hmm. it's not all that common across cultures. No. Um, two, two, two elements that I would like to introduce, both off the back of your example and your definition, and this isn't necessarily my definition, it's just, just things to consider. I would say that a vice is something which inhibits your state of moral readiness. That when you are in a position to be called upon when a crisis strikes, that it diminishes your capacity for others to depend on you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, what's what's a good example of this. So this is this is partially the Christian conception and also the Aristotelian idea of eudaimonia, right? Mm-hmm. And If you are a habitually virtuous person, if you do things which noble you, it makes your capacity for moral exercise far more capable when someone comes to depend on you in a crisis-like scenario than if you were turning to booze or drugs Mm -hmm. to numb, numb yourself to it. So it effectively makes you a less competent person. You have less agency in the world. Yeah. So this is mm-hmm. the difference between. So th- to to use a uh, Christian analogy, because you never know the hour at which judgment comes, you have to be in a state of constant readiness. Uh, this is this actually links to your your discussion of revelation in your Epochs with Bo. This is why the idea that if the if rapture is going to occur in your lifetime it actually doesn't justify you having a ton of wives and, and being immoral it actually means that if you believe that it's imminent but you don't know the hour at which it will arrive then don't practice vices because when you come to be judged you won't be judged favorably and mm-hmm. so to to secularize that analogy uh, when some when a great tragedy unexpectedly befalls your family and you are the person to which they look to shoulder the burden of your father's coffin or to 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 cry on you can't be in a state where you are weak and they cannot depend on you because they deserve the, just by them being good people they deserve your ability to comfort them and then to, to extrapolate off the wedding example if it's a one-off a, a vice is not falling afoul of not knowing your exact limits specifically because as well your alcohol to- tolerance will change over time you don't know your limits until you actually you know hmm. go off a precipice yeah. and i
0: um, I think it was Hunter S Thompson of all people who I, I feel knows Vice very well He um, continually tested his limits <laughs> He did, yeah he, he said you don't know where the edge is until you go tumbling off mm. and I think that's actually very true that you know, you've got to go over the edge a little bit to know where the limits are mm. and I can understand if people are sort of hesitant that they don't want to do that but mm. more often than not going over the edge just means I, I behaved in a mildly stupid way that ultimately won't have that many consequences if, you know, you're one of those people who gets really drunk and tries to steal the crown jewels or something and, you know, it ruins the rest of your life. Mm. Um, I think you'd be very unlucky to do that As your like first example, and exceptionally ambitious as well. I think think there are
1: certain there are certain things where you don't need to hit rock bottom in order to understand they're bad for you. So there are certain hard drugs. There is the fact that you don't need to go out and play AIDS roulette by having promiscuous sex to know that it might not be the best idea Mm -hmm. to hook up with a stranger in a truck stop, for example. So there there are certain certain limits that can be culturally transmissible. But then if you're a 16 year old having your first drink, which you shouldn't do because that's illegal, kids don't do that. you're not going to know if you throw up after 2 or 20.
0: Due to a technical difficulty, I've had to get my laptop. So uh,
1: there is a bit of a continuity error here, but it's fine.
0: It's not going to disrupt anything in any way. So moving on from what you said a little bit, um, I would say that Vice has both an inward and outward component. It has an inward destructive component and an outward destructive component as well. And the inward one is obviously quite distinct to the outward one in that um it's sort of unavoidable for there to be inward destruction because by definition if it is a vice it is having some sort of detrimental effect upon your personal life in some way mm. and so that's unavoidable but the outward component people can simply avoid you which again has inward consequences but i'm not necessarily saying that that's desirable i'm just saying that you know it's not quite as um it's not quite as unavoidable as as it could be but obviously if you have a vice it's going to be detrimental to the people around you yes and if you care about the people around you which you should um it it is not only irresponsible it is also going to be um very destructive to them you could harm them which will obviously make you feel
1: very bad about yourself um, Um, Well, also, it's just even if you don't have any direct consequences of harm, for example, if you get hooked on an addictive substance and you're not threatening to stab a family member for money to buy crack with, right, that's an extreme example. Even if it's not that, even if everyone has at least one family member who is not in a state of readiness when crisis strikes, you end up with the... Fall of Rome meme with a smug soyjack superimposed in front of it, saying, "Well, how does this affect you personally?" Because it has a scaling issue, right? If you have the immediate consequences of detrimentally impacting your family because you're hooked on a vice, then one, it's hard to uh, avoid a, a family member because of those inextricable sentimental bonds. Um, you you born dependent we're all in mm-hmm. units it's, it's but, difficult well, to break. by
0: definition having a dependency makes you less adaptable because you are dependent on something i mean yeah. there are things that we are dependent on that we can't avoid like uh, for the pedants in the comments yes i'm dependent on drinking water and eating food you know that is a dependency but that is
1: you know one of the feasible Things of being a material being, right? yeah, but I mean, but I mean uh, the non-material aspect of being. Mm-hmm. I mean the the fact that you are enmeshed in a family dynamic, even if that family dynamic is adverse, abusive, or mm. that you want to cut someone out, it's still painful to do so. And it, just look at San Francisco, for example. The amount of people that are, that you have to step over on the pavement that uh, are dying of drug addiction over time does build up the alienation factor, does contribute to social mm-hmm. decay. So yeah there is a an element of avoidability as long as it's confined to one tramp per town who's a bit of a drunk but if the costs of vice are diminished culturally and materially then it incentivizes people that aren't quite as cognizant of the moral dimensions of vice to just become addicted to it and that does have a social contagion effect which erodes the social fabric Mm -hmm. as someone who lives in
0: swindon i'm well aware of the (laughs) the environmental effects of crackheads ruining everything <laughs> yeah fair point in fact just the mere mention of them makes me sneeze in an <laughs> allergic response i'm just that much of a snob um so the behavior of um say vice if you will can take three different forms which vary in severity and th- these are um things that are reflected in the literature but i've kind of put put my own sort of spin on it if you will but that is not too out there necessarily so there's excess which are things like risk taking gambling Um, Some substance abuse, um, sexual promiscuity that um, I think is fair to label them as excessive because they're beyond the realm of normal behavioural function. It's Mm -hmm. suggesting there's some sort of maladaptive reason to be going towards those things more so than might seem healthy, but it hasn't got to the point where there's necessarily explicit and obvious negative side effects yet. And we're going to be talking about excess a bit later, but first um, um, we're going to be t- tackling addiction, which is the, the sp- supposedly the most severe. I, I s- would say that's pretty self-evident really. And that's of course, again, substance abuse, but in a more severe state. Um, you can be addicted to video games, although I have covered um, that before um, and have said many positive things about it. Pornography. Um, and pretty much anything that acts on the neural reward system. So you can become sort of addicted to running, for example, because that has a neurochemical release. Um, Although obviously being addicted to running and being addicted to heroin are not equal things. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) I know, it's such a a bombshell. And uh, the final one, which I'm going to call uh, the biblical vices, things like greed, lust, envy, lying, cheating, that sort of thing, that's more akin to moral vices personal defects yeah yeah and I've kind of tacked these on at the end because some people may label these vices some people may not they may see them as independent things but I thought I'd include them just to be thorough um, although they're not necessarily going to be the focus because I think these are virtues or lack thereof and so I think looking at them with a slightly different lens might be warranted But first, I suppose it's worthwhile pointing out the work that I've done so far. Um, You feature in a couple of these Mm. actually. So I've done a couple of contemplations tackling this sort of thing. Are we a civilization of drug addicts where um, me and you looked at various um, common things like prescription opiates and the contraceptive pill and all the things that we've become dependent on as a civilization and how they're detrimentally affecting us. Mm. And I think the term drug addicts is fair Because, of course, you can't necessarily get addicted to, say, the contraceptive pill. But our society is dependent upon Mm. um, its use, at least in its current state. Not saying that it's good, um, but I'm saying that people rely on it, which shouldn't be a controversial statement. And then we also have, um, if I can use a mouse properly, uh, this one here, which is, again, mine and yours, uh, the psychology and morality of pornography, where we're talking about that sort of thing and explaining why it might be detrimental to both you and other people around Mm. you and although we came down on different sides about whether it should be banned or not um, we agreed on the detrimental effects yes and then finally um this is one i did with harry Mm. um are video games bad for you and basically my premise was if you're addicted to them yes And If not, they can actually be quite good for you depending on what kind of game because people like to lump games all in together But you'll have to find out which distinctions I made in this contemplations Um, I mean, I'm plugging it, but uh, of course you're already watching this So you may well have watched them already, but it's just worthwhile to remind you of the kind of things I've kind of built off of to talk about this so I'm going to talk about addiction now and Again, as I said before, this is probably one of the most pervasive forms of vice. Um, people often euphemistically refer to it as a habit. And I think that is kind of getting to the core of it, is that it's something that you do repeatedly. It's something that cannot be shaped. And so it it has that sort of habitual character. And mm-hmm. I know that Aristotle said that um, virtue is basically habit forming, mm-hmm. which I agree with. He's He's right to say so then vice must be sort of the inverse of that in a sense. You're habituating a bad pattern of behavior rather than a good one in virtue.
1: Yeah, so to to link the biblical vices with vices that are reliance on certain substances or behaviors, I would say that the behaviors or substances are the enabling condition to put you in a moral deficit like a uh inhibited state of readiness for that crisis which strikes because certain vices like gambling drinking pornography hard drugs they do have an addictive element and so they can reformat your brain chemistry mm-hmm. and um, I will be touching on that soon yeah and so weaken your defenses against succumbing to certain underlying character flaws which draw you to that substance in the first place Mm -hmm. so the mouth pleasure of fast food for example makes greed a hell of a lot easier to do but you have to have been greedy as a prerequisite motivation otherwise you wouldn't be indulging in all that food it doesn't just just because there is that adverse psychological effect doesn't morally exculpate you from overindulging in that thing in the first place does that make Mm -hmm. sense sure i mean to to kind of steel man your example here there's a guy who uh
0: looks a bit like john lennon weirdly enough who eats nothing but big macs for the past 20 years Mm. and he's not fat in fact he's quite skinny actually because he only has two a day and Mm. that's his food and i mean that's really weird but you know it's it's a sign that you can go to mcdonald's every day and not be a great big fat person um to accidentally quote Buffalo Bill <laughs> from Science and Science. So there, there is a sort of sweet spot, if you will. You can have fast food every now and then, and it's not going to kill you. It's not really gonna to do too much harm, but it's, it's about um, being cognizant of the effect it's having upon yourself. I think that's the main thing I want to draw home, is that mm. just be reflective on, on what's going on in your life. And with an addiction, sometimes it's very difficult to tell when it passes from sort of excess to an actual addiction. Like I've been addicted to caffeine before and I didn't really realize it. I would just have a habit of having a morning coffee. And sometimes i would be irritable because I enjoyed my morning coffee um, when I didn't have it. And I just presumed, well, this is the nice thing. This is my treat for going through the boring old morning routine. And then I realized, oh yes, this is,
1: you know all of the hallmarks of a a sort of physical addiction. I was actually, to come back on your your final contemplations plug example i was addicted to games as a Mm -hmm. teenager i got really good at first person shooters like i was call of duty in particular i was unbelievably good at call of duty i I
0: was was, um playing a lot of that when i was a teenager i got in like i think at one point i was playing so much that i was in like the top ten thousand on on xbox live in the world which is very sad that was for team deathmatch which is really lame and i'm ashamed to say it
1: yeah i used to i used to float in the semi-pro circles made a little bit of money i did destiny raid runs i did crap tons of Titanfall. I was near top 500 on the European service for Overwatch for a bit. I was properly sweaty and my social life deteriorated as, mm-hmm. as a result. And so I, this is this is perhaps why I'm a bit more hardline on these things. It's that for certain people, there are certain things which are irresistible. It's like it's like the monkeys that are genetically predisposed to alcoholism. Like mm. You don't know until you let the monkey drink. So sometimes, yeah, the the occasional bag of mcdonald's fries i mean seed oils sure but they aren't the worst thing in the world for you but don't fill your life with things that degrade you and impede your progress as a as a person that other people can rely on and also there are certain things you don't need to try because it almost isn't worth the risk falling under their sway yeah heroin
0: meth yeah perhaps <laughs> i mean I, i've done neither funny that um it yeah. is probably because they don't look too appealing even, you know, from the outside. You mm. see the consequences of what it does to people. You're just like, you know what? Even if that's the best thing in the world, you know, it must it's like my teeth. Yeah. Yeah. It is clear that they're not necessarily having a good time mm. in other aspects of their life. Yeah. And so you don't need to do it to necessarily see it. But I think for most people we're talking to today, mm. it's going to be a bit more pervasive. It's not going to be as obvious and common sense as that. Mm. And um Even so, I mean, sometimes people who are very, very depressed will turn to to hard drugs and it's like a a palliative measure Mm. to keep them uh, supposedly in the world, if you will. You know, it allows them, it gives them some sort of pleasure and then eventually they can recover. So it's a very complicated thing in a way in that sometimes drug addiction can save someone who's suicidal which obviously I don't definitely don't go out and do drugs if you're suicidal that's not a good idea but Mm. it does seem to be that there's some sort of um, weird function there that I suppose it's like a comfort blanket in a sense I think that's probably it that they have a, a bit of bit of momentary closure on their problems which allows them to then approach them with a bit of freshness potentially hopefully so anyway but we're not going to focus on that necessarily so one thing I wanted to focus on about addiction is that calling it a disease I think is a bit misleading and it kind of winds me up a little bit in that it implies a sort of pathogen doesn't Mm. it? it implies that there's a foreign contaminant which I mean if you're you know taking drugs or drinking alcohol whatever I mean that is a drug but if you're doing those things that's still introducing something external but it's kind of, it functions in a different way. And I don't think conflating the two is necessarily helpful. And also addiction is bad enough in its own right. It doesn't need to piggyback on other concepts to be seen as bad. Like it destroys people's lives, it destroys families. Mm. I don't think you need to say, oh, it's a disease though, just like obesity. Yeah, obesity is bad enough. You don't need to call it a disease. Yeah, you can't involuntarily
1: contract being fat.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Unless someone's force feeding you, I don't know. I mean whatever you're into I suppose but don't do that it's weird Um, so yes I think there's also a very detrimental psychological aspect that people overlook is that you're taking an active role in the maintenance of your own affliction like addicts are well aware that they're addicted and they don't feel good about it Hmm. but they feel so bad physiologically and potentially psychologically as well that they feel like their hand is forced to repeat this negative behaviour and that is akin to a form of torture in my mind. And of course, this is immensely destructive to one's own notion of self and one's own self-worth and their sort of uh, self-esteem, that sort of thing. I suppose that's just another word for the same thing.
1: I don't know if you would know, but do you know if more addicts report their brain kind of going on autopilot when they indulge in a particular vice, or is it that more addicts try and hyper-rationalize their urges to themselves to justify it, indulging. It would be a combination of both right.
0: because, of course, habits are unconscious most yep. of the time. Right? You have to consciously cultivate a habit, so then you don't have to consciously do it. That's why people, you know, go out of their way to say, "Okay, I'm going to the gym," and then eventually it's going to be a habit. You don't even question it. And so, it, it seems like there isn't a sort of unconscious, automatic aspect to it, but also you're, you've got a sort of bipartite brain, don't you? In the 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 unconscious and the conscious both have to be working in tandem for the continuity of a certain behavior Mm -hmm. and if the conscious mind is making excuses for um, the unconscious desires which we quite often do a lot of the time like we post-hoc rationalize why we did something which isn't always helpful but sometimes um, it's impossible to kind of introspect as to why we made a certain choice because by definition if the unconscious is involved then it's not available to your conscious introspection you can speculate with knowledge of your own behavior and kind of come to a best guess but you can't really know for certain about that and i think that that's one of the complicated aspects and i think people who are most immune to the destructive things that we're going to talk about today are people who are very reflective and people who are aware of what they're doing and able to do that well and i think that that inoculates you to the negative excesses because you spot the mistakes in your own reasoning for your own behavior quicker than other people might you won't necessarily have to fall afoul of something to see that it might lead you down a bad path and that's really what i want to encourage people to do there is a solution here um to vices and detriments and that just that is just sitting and thinking about it and trying to solve it it's of course with drug addiction and things like that There's a lot of physical stuff, you know, checking yourself into rehab, removing yourself from an environment encourages it, making sure the incentives are in your favour to promote good behaviour. Those are all things you need to do as well. But if it's sort of on the lower level, the sort of bad behaviour that everyone has to a certain extent, then introspection is the main antidote. And I think that everyone could benefit from that. I don't think there's anyone that could not benefit from doing that. And it's something that I really, really try and do myself. And has has done innumerable good for me. I don't think I'd be the person I am today. I don't think I'd be here um, in the seat today. That made it sound like I'd be dead. I don't mean that. I mean, like, um, I'm not sure I would have succeeded enough to be here had I not been sufficiently introspective in mitigating my worst excesses. I think that it leads you down, a, a, not necessarily a dark road, but a self-destructive one in a sense. So, I mean, sometimes there are limitations to self-destruction, aren't they? In that um, you can't really go out binge drinking very easily on a hangover. That's a very Mm. physical limitation on what you can do. But um, just to kind of um, highlight the nature of addiction, um, people, and this is based on the psychological literature, people can be addicted to getting tattoos and piercings, stealing, pet ownership, using hand sanitizer, cleaning... Pulling hair, plastic surgery, tanning, eating ice, which took me by surprise. Um, apparently 2% of men over the age of 18 in the US compulsively chew ice. I've never heard of this, by the way. But
1: 2% of the male population is a bit mental, actually. I've met a few girls who compulsively pull hair out out of stress, so it doesn't surprise me. Well, it's, it's an actual phrase,
0: isn't it, to mean stressed? So, yeah. um, eating dirt... Um, apparently that's more common in the third world. Um, Or in the home office, probably. (laughs) Yeah, that's public policy. Um, And also hylophagia, which is eating glass, which I imagine wouldn't be pleasant to uh, go out of your system. Um, Also, 10% of high-performance runners are addicted to exercise and similarly about 10% of bodybuilders are also addicted to going to the gym. Mm. So that 10% seems to be a recurring figure, although, of course, there are lots of different aspects of methodology and sampling that could vary that, and lots of factors to, that interplay it. And a simple statistic at face value isn't worth much. There's also can,
1: probably body dysmorphia, anorexia, and
0: like comorbidities. That there acts. are lots of complex factors that inform yeah. these things, because of course the human brain, as far as we know, is the most complex thing in the known universe. Mm. And so we, we like to think of ourselves as being very simple. But we're not we're we're actually very complicated and it's one of the the sort of revelations in psychology is that wow the more you dig the more complex things are and there's really not much limit to the complexity of it in a
1: in a sense so so this is might be our sticking point mutually Mm -hmm. on the addiction is a disease point no addiction is often a maladaptive coping strategy for an underlying comorbidity like depression or Mm -hmm. or anxiety well if
0: you feel the need to do something that lifts your mood there must be a dearth of mood in the first place so it's kind of definitionally true yeah so moving on to um the sort of health professional definition of addiction um here is the nhs website of course fountain of all knowledge the nhs not really but um they have some interesting things that they've highlighted as particularly significant some people are addicted to work um Uh. Apparently, this is number one on the NHS website. Um, I'm not making a personal attack at you, Connor. Don't worry. Um, I, I
1: think I think he's a little bit known that I'm I'm a touch of a workaholic. So that, that doesn't I think, um, as far
0: as addictions go, it's one of the most productive. <laughs>
1: yeah, true, but it, um, it does burn you out. Mm.
0: I think everyone gets burnt out eventually, mm. don't they? It's particularly if they're in a high, if they push themselves to get into a high stress environment mm. where there's lots of responsibility, where you've got lots of expectations on you. It takes an emotional toll over time there's only so much you can bear of stress because stress is a neurochemical thing Mm -hmm. that of course um things like cortisol that sort Mm -hmm. of thing i'm not going to go into that because it would be a massive tangent but basically it erodes the functionality of your body over time particularly your immune Mm -hmm. system makes Mm -hmm. you susceptible to illnesses and so your overall sensation of being um degrades over time with stress so it's no um small thing it is very significant internet addiction um yeah get up get off the internet stop watching this go outside no don't do that don't into the, the subscription end. though please yeah um solvents um i don't really understand this one like sniffing glue it's just like <laughs> come on go professional with your drug use or go home it's the charlie from it's always sunny addiction i know yeah it's it's a weird one if you i mean it's it's basically pointless um all of them appointments obviously yeah. but um and shopping as well um, uh, the female addiction yes i i despise shopping i see it as a massive chore um very male-brained in that respect yeah. i take no pleasure from it um other than mocking the ridiculous things that are in high street shops like the clothes in particular i i enjoy berating them
1: because i i derive pleasure from misery of course i I feel like there needs to be more seats outside changing rooms so that we can have like a a male bonding exercise of all Mm -hmm. the put-upon boyfriends and husbands that are forced to sit there while your girlfriend tries on 10 dresses and doesn't actually wear any of them Mm -hmm. it it the seating area you know where people normally
0: go to try and choose becomes like a crash for (laughs) for men in relationships just there's always a kind of exchange of oh yeah, I know. Yeah. They should have like magazines on sheds or something on the table <laughs> in the middle. I hope you enjoyed that segment from Contemplations, my series. And if you want to watch the full conversation, which that was taken from, all you need to do is sign up to our website for five pounds a month, and you can watch all of the content we have there. Thank you very much for watching and goodbye.